was a year ago today that we had our first live stream service. So that was, it was a, you know, crazy week, right? And it was, I think it was on Thursday where the emergency order was given. And, and so that's when we realized we've got to go to live streams. And, and uh, we pivoted really quick. And, you know, Grimaldi and everyone just, you know, really, it was, a, it was amazing how we got it done. And, but that was a year ago. And so uh, it is so good to be able to worship with you guys. We've got people here in the room. We've got people here still on live stream. And, uh, and it, is, it is just good for us to be together. And I'm just very thankful for the way that God has been so faithful to us this year. And it's been a hard year. It's been a challenging year. Uh, and, you know, even as we talk about, like, things moving more towards normal as, as people are getting vaccines and as we're moving forward, like we just have to be mindful. There are people in our congregation who life will never get be back to normal. You know, people who have lost loved ones, people whose their health has been compromised or their business uh, was shut down permanently. And so, so we just, but through that though, I think everyone's testimony would be that God has carried us and God has been faithful. Um, and so, uh, so I am in the middle or moving towards the end of a kind of a long series where it's called Keeping It Simple. And so what we've been doing in this series, it's just been real, real basic, real, you know, simple kind of premise that life seems to be getting more complicated. Life seems to be getting more complicated. People seem to be a little bit more stressed out. Uh, things seem a little bit more unmanageable. Maybe the reason that life is getting more complicated and we're feeling a little bit more stressed is that we as individuals and as a society, we are moving away from some of the clear guidelines and clear instruction that God has given us. We're kind of moving away from God's wisdom and saying, no, God, we're okay. We got this. We're going to figure this out on our own. We're good. You know, we don't need this antiquated whatever. And so we'll just kind of like figure things out on our own. Uh, Nikki Gumbel who is uh, a pastor of a wonderful church in England, in London, England, called Holy Trinity Brompton. He also is the founder of the Alpha Course. And he, he has this great illustration that I think really gets to the heart of, of kind of the premise, the foundation that I've been trying to lay in this series, this message series, you know, every single week. He talks about this time that he and his, his buddy Andy put together a soccer game, or as they say in England, a football game, for teenagers. And so he said, uh, you know, Andy, the game was supposed to start at 2.30. Andy wasn't there. And, uh, and so the kids wanted to play. So Nikki didn't have any of the equipment, any of the material, or whistles, or he didn't really know how to play. He was a cricket player. And he said, so I was press ganged. That's a weird press ganged. I guess that's a British saying. <laughs> I, just, I was press ganged into being a substitute referee, but I had no whistle. There were no markings for the boundaries of the pitch. That's the field in real English. Um, the game soon descended into complete chaos. Some shouted that the ball was in. Others said that it was out. I wasn't at all sure, so I let things run. Then the foul started. Some cried foul. Others said no foul. I didn't know who was right, so I let them play on. Then people began to get hurt. By the time Andy arrived, there were three boys lying injured on the ground, and all the rest were shouting, mainly at me. But the moment Andy arrived, he blew his whistle, arranged the teams, told them where the boundaries were, and had them under complete control. The boys then enjoyed a great game of football. Were the boys freer without the rules, or were they, in fact, less free? Without any effective authority, they could do exactly what they wanted, but people were confused and hurt. They much preferred it when the game was played according to the rules. Then they were free to enjoy the game. The rules of football are not designed to take away the fun of the game. They're designed to enable the game to be enjoyed to the full. 
God's rules are his boundaries for life, given out of his love for us. His boundaries are not designed to restrict our freedom, but rather to give us freedom. Like the rules of football, they do not stop the enjoyment of the game. Rather, they enable the game of life to be enjoyed to the full. I just thought Nicky Gumbel, he did such a good job of what I've been trying to say in my introductions like every week for the last month. He just said so clearly. And so, so let's read again our theme verse, which is found in Romans chapter 1, with this in mind, with this wonderful illustration that, that Nicky Gumbel gives about, about why God has set up some order and some boundaries because he loves us for our good. So Romans 1, 21, it says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So claiming to be wise, say we're going to kind of figure this out on our own, we actually became fools and the soccer game wasn't as fun and we got hurt. Therefore, you know, things go from bad to worse. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts, the sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So what we have been talking about uh, is through the, you know, through the last month is how we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And what we've been doing, we started out by, by identifying four lies that I think the devil has been trying to get human beings to believe for as long as human beings have been around. Then we've been kind of breaking it down. We've been looking at different kind of categories of life and, and what are the lies that we're believing, ways that things are getting a little bit more complicated. So first we looked at simplifying singleness. And so we talked about those who might be in like college or in their 20s or people who maybe are single in their 30s and 40s or find themselves single again through, for whatever reason. What, what's the wisdom that God has for us for that, that very specific season of life, which is very different than the lies or the wisdom that the world has? Then we did the same thing for marriage. We tried to simplify marriage. Uh, last week, we talked about relationships. We broadened it out. And what we said was, was what if we just took a word in the Bible that, that really comes up over and over again in the Old and New Testament, the word honor. And what if we simplified relationships by simply trying to treat everybody that we come across with honor? And so what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about our relationship with money, how we can simplify our relationship with money. Now, now the series that we're doing here, what you can maybe figure out, this is basically a relationship series. And so you may say, well, why are we talking about money in a relationship series? Well, the reality is that our relationship with men, money tends to affect all of our relationships, especially our marriage, right? Three top reasons for divorce are incompatibility, infidelity, and disagreements over money. And so God said this to the prophet, Haggai thousands of years ago, Haggai 1, 5 to 7. He said, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So pay attention. Give careful thought. Uh, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, but only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So so the, God says through the prophet, hey, pay attention to your financial reality. 
How many of you would say, even though this was written thousands of years ago, boy, that kind of describes the way that I feel right now, right? It feels like I work really hard, I do stuff, but it's like, do I, I put my money in my pocket, do I have holes in my pocket? I sit down, you know, after, after I get paid, you sit down with your laptop to pay your bills, and in 20 minutes, it's like all gone, you know? And you're just like, man, easy come, easy go. Where did all that go? Can anybody, are you guys out there this morning? You guys here? I know we had, we, this is the bad daylight savings time, and we don't serve coffee, and I know Oh, it's, so that's a, that's a rough combination, but I'm going to need your help. You guys can help me out. Now, listen, here's the deal, right? I know that talking about money is a touchy subject. I know that people get a little bit stressed out when it's like, oh boy, the preacher's talking about money. Here we go again. But, and the reality is for that reason, when like early on in my ministry, I didn't, I didn't like talking about money and I wouldn't talk about money. But now I've kind of realized, though, that it's, it's important that I talk about money. It's important that I talk about what the Bible has to say about money. And I don't do it a lot, but I do it more than I used to because there are a few things that cause as many complications as messing up our relationship with money. And so I talk about money a little bit more than I used to, but the reality is I don't talk about it nearly as much as the Bible talks about it. Jesus talked about money and possessions more than almost anything else. He talked about money and possessions more than he talked about heaven and hell. He told uh, 28 parables. 16 of the parables had something to do with money and possessions. There are over 500 verses in the Bible that deal with prayer and faith. And so you'd be like, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, the Bible, you know, prayer and faith, 500 verses. But there are more than 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possessions. So the Bible has a lot to say about your money. Why does the Bible talk so much about your money? Because money is spiritual. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, there's Jesus saying, like, your relationship with money is really, really spiritual. There is a direct line from your bank account to your heart right? From your purse or your wallet to your heart for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And your heart, that's like the center of your reality, right? That's like what your life is all about. God said that, that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, right? Because the heart is so important. That's spiritual. That's like the ultimate reality. Your spouse wants your heart, right? Your kids, you could give them like everything in the world, but if they felt that you kept your heart from them, you withheld your heart, you wouldn't have a good relationship with your kids. Billy Graham put it this way. He said, if a person gets their attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their life. So, so I haven't done a series on money in a while, right? Because with, just with everything with the pandemic and this last year, it didn't seem like that was like, you know, so it just didn't seem the right time for it. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to kind of pack a lot into this. It's not going to be super long, but there's going to be a lot. It's going to be a little bit dense. So I would encourage you to open up, go into your app and open up the fill in the blank notes and kind of follow along. I'm going to start by identifying four lies 
I think, four lies that we believe about money. You know, remember this whole series is about, about kind of figuring out where we exchange the truth of God for a lie. So four lies we believed about money, and then I'm going to talk about what I think is the most important principle, thing that we can do when it comes to our money. So the first lie is what I kind of said in my introduction. We think money is natural. We think it's natural. We think it's, we don't, we don't realize how spiritual money is. We think it's just like paper that I have, or it's something that's on a ledger, or it's something that my bank is a custodian in, or it's the, you know, the, the numbers on my paycheck. We think that it's natural, but we don't realize that it's spiritual. And if we understand how spiritual money is, I think it can kind of uncomplicate some of the, some of the financial issues in our life. Jesus said this in, in Luke 16, 13. He said, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, if you notice, I put NKJV. That means normally what I do when I put Bible verses up is I put, do the NIV. And so if, there, if it doesn't say specifically, you know, then you know it's the NIV. I chose the NKJV because it leaves the word mammon in there, right? It's a transliteration. Jesus, there was a word he could have said for money. He didn't say the word for money. He said mammon. And so I think the correct translation is to just put mammon in there. And he was very specific in saying mammon because mammon or mammonis was the Syrian god of wealth. And so if you wanted to get wealthy, if you wanted to be financially prosperous, you would worship mammon. You would worship mammonis. You would do acts of adoration. You would light candles. You would do whatever it is you need to do. You would worship mammon. And then if you were, if he was pleased with you, then he would bless you. Now, what the Bible is kind of clear about is a lot of these deities that were worshiped in pagan nations were actually demons, were principalities and powers. And so I think that there is a spirit named mammon, a principality that is like over greed. And I think that, you know what, the spirit has been pretty active. The spirit has been pretty involved in the history of humanity causing destruction. When you think about all of the wars and all of the violence and everything that's happened because of greed, and, and mammon was part of the Babylonian pantheon, and Babylon means confusion. And so I wonder, again, it's spiritual. I wonder if that whenever, whenever there's confusion, whenever there's, there's frustration, whenever there's fighting going on with money, maybe it's a sign that there is a spirit of, the spirit of mammon is kind of at work in the way that you're dealing with, dealing with, uh, dealing with your money. So, so the first lie is that money is spiritual. The second lie is having money will make me more secure. Having money will make me more secure. Now listen, we talk about this all the time. We talk about financial security. Financial planners, maybe even some of you, you make a living saying, hey, we're going to offer you a pathway to financial security. But, but actually, financial security is a lie. Like, we can't become financially secure. Think about, you know, someone like Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs died a few years ago after, you know, he's the founder of Apple. He, like, changed our lives in a lot of ways. Uh, he was worth, I think, $11 billion when he died. Back over, It was about almost 10 years ago now. Uh, he was only 56 years old. He left two kids who were kind of young. And it was, you know, very tragic that he died so early. He was worth $11 billion. He did not have security against pancreatic cancer. He didn't have security against an early death. Proverbs 18.11 says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Now listen to this. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. 
They imagine that it's a wall too high to scale. It actually, you can scale this wall. It's not an unscalable wall. They imagine. I remember, you know, hearing Dana Carvey, who was on Saturday Night Live, did some movies, you know, did well for himself. He said something that just stuck with me. He said, what people don't understand about being wealthy is it doesn't give you what you think it's going to give you. Really, he said, at the end of the day, what it does is it gives you a nicer place to watch TV. Like you're watching the same shows that everyone else is watching, but just in a nicer place. I mean, all the things that you need for security, like it doesn't give you purpose, right? It doesn't keep you from getting sick. It doesn't keep you from possibly dying before your time or, you know, like, like having your life cut short. It doesn't keep you from getting betrayed. Actually, it might increase the likelihood that you'll get betrayed because now, you know, people are going to be coming at you. It doesn't keep you from getting stuck in, like, addictions. Maybe it, like, actually, you know, we see so many Hollywood stars and so many others who, who, like, their lives are cut short because of addictions. Maybe it actually makes it harder. You know, we think it's going to protect us, but it doesn't. It's an imaginary wall. It doesn't really protect us. Where does our protection really come from? Where does our security really come from? What is a wall that we can have in our life that is not imaginary, that is a real wall that can keep us safe? Hebrews 13, 5 to 6 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do? What is a real wall? of security that will keep you safe? What is the real source of our security? God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is your true source of security. And if, listen, if you're a billionaire, your billions aren't going to keep you secure. But if you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God will keep you secure because he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If you don't have two nickels to rub together, you can have the same real security that the billionaire has because you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and God is committed to you. God is with you. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God is your source. He will give you what you need. He is the high tower that you can run to. He is the wall that is unscalable. And the person who doesn't have two nickels and the billionaire can have the same source of real security in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I had in my, I, I thought like this is a time to say amen, but you guys are awake now. You said amen. You're helping me preach. But seriously, like who's the one who gives you purpose? Right? You could have purpose in your life. Money doesn't give you purpose. God will give you purpose. Who is the one that if you get sick, he could heal you? And if, if you're not healed, he will walk with you in that. Who is the one that if you're betrayed, he will heal your heart? Who is the one that if you have addictions, he will, he will set you free and he will come and he will deliver you and he'll set you free? Who is the one, you know, the thing, the Bible talks about death as this thing that holds us back in chains. Who is the one you want real security? Who is the one who takes away the fear of death? It is not money that takes away the fear of death. That is an imaginary wall. It is the Lord Jesus. It is God. God who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you in this life, and I will take you by the hand, and I will lead you into the world to come, so you don't have to be afraid anymore. I think I'm preaching to somebody. 
I think, I think there's someone here, like you came here today with a lot of fear and a lot of insecurity. There's something going on in your life. And what I want to tell you is you are safe and secure in the kingdom of God. God is your helper. God is your source. You are secure. You are safe. And I just pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that somebody here right now will feel that sense, almost like a blanket as the Holy Spirit covers you and lets you know, I am with you. I am not going to let you go. You have a, your, your, your high tower, your wall is not imaginary. It is real. It is me. So the third lie is that the things I own define who I am. The things I own define who I am. Now, listen, let's be real here, okay? All of us, to one degree or another, maybe some more, but all of us, we kind of think that if I own nice stuff, like if I drive a certain car, if I live in a certain zip code, or I have a certain purse, guitar. A guitar. Okay, this Don, this is not like a call and answer type thing going on. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing, but you know, okay, a guitar. All right. So, so um, we think that people are going to treat us differently, right? People are going to. People are going to. Maybe you know, we think like they're going to respect me. They're going to think that I'm successful. They're going to want my opinion. They're going to think like my opinion matters about stuff. They're, they're going to want to hang out with me. They're going to listen to what I have to say. Really kind of what, what lies underneath that is if I'm successful, if I have nice stuff, if Don gets the dream guitar, people will love me. But you see, that's a lie. That's not true. Jesus said this, Luke 12, 15. He said to them, watch out, be on your guard. He said, be, be on your guard. Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard. It's like the double, you know, the double whammy. Like, hey, this is serious against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then you have Solomon, who was probably the wealthiest person who ever lived. Like, he just kind of owned everything. He, you know, I almost think God, like, let him have everything so he could write the book of Ecclesiastes and let us say, that's not really where you find meaning. That's not where you find purpose. He says this in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. And so where does true identity come from? Where does true wealth come from? Romans 4, 7, 8. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. You want to know where your identity really needs to be? Your identity needs to be grounded on the fact that you are radically loved by your heavenly Father, that God loves you, that your sins are forgiven, that you are spotless, you are clean, you are a, you are a precious son, you are a precious daughter, and you will dwell with King Jesus. You will dwell with your heavenly Father for all of eternity in the kingdom of heaven. That is your identity. That's what you hold on to. Blessed are those whose transgressions who are covered and a part of the kingdom of God. The fourth lie is this. My stuff belongs to me. My stuff belongs to me. I worked hard for my stuff. I get my stuff. I keep my stuff. What is, you know, one of the first things that like a two-year-old learns to say is mine, right? I think, like, def, you know, definitely before they say some other important words like, like dada, they, you know, they, they say it seems like mine kind of comes out pretty early. Um, and that kind of stays with us, right? But the reality is it's not yours. It's not yours. The Bible says that we're to steward stuff. Steward is an old English word. means manage. See, we don't, we don't actually own anything. And so, you know, I was thinking about all the jobs that I've had. And I've, I've worked, like, all my life. I had a paper route when I was 12 years old. Who else here had a paper route? 
Remember paper? All right, those of you who are younger, I would get on a bicycle and I would have paper like with words on it, and I would drive around to the houses in my neighborhood and leave the paper on the front step, and then people would take that paper and read it, and this would happen every single day uh, with a much bigger paper on Sunday. It, was, it was, seemed like a long, long time ago. But I always had jobs. In high school, I had jobs. In college, I had jobs. When I was planting this church, I had jobs. One of the jobs that I had in college was at a car wash, and that was normal. You know, that was kind of a pretty cushy job. It, wasn't, it was fun. It was fine. Um, but I was thinking about like hard jobs that I had. And I remember this one weekend. It was, uh, I had to work an eight-hour shift on Saturday and an eight-hour shift on Sunday. And it was freezing cold. It had just snowed. And if you know, like people want to get their car washed after it snows because they want to get the salt and everything off. So there were lines like the whole, you know, like for eight hours straight, just lines like backing up into the street. And, uh, and so there were two jobs that you could have. And it was freezing this weekend. It was like single digits with a wind chill that put it negative because the wind was really blowing. So one job was to take the money. And so it wasn't credit cards. It was actually people would give you money and then you'd give them change. And so you couldn't have gloves on. And so after a few hours of that, your hands felt like you had frostbite. They were going to, but that wasn't the worst job. The worst job was the one who would have the hose and would be spraying down the car before it went into the car wash. And it was a really windy day. So the water, the water was blowing back on you. So it's like negative wind chill factor and you're soaked, you're soaking wet. I remember I was probably about 20 years old and I was like, I think I'm making a little bit more than minimum wage and tips, and people aren't really tipping like they should. I don't want to do this. This is terrible. I think I might die. I was actually, I was thinking about, you know, when I was thinking about this, I hadn't thought about it in a while. I just remembered like, like two hours into that shift being like, I can't do this. And then like I had to come back the next day. It was rough. But, you know, these are the things that kind of toughen you up. You know, the reality is, is that after I was done, I thought, that the money that I earned there, that was my money because I froze and my frostbite and, I, you know, I lost two fingers. No, I didn't really lose two fingers. Um, First Chronicles 29, 10 to 12 says, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Everything is God's. Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from Him. We get to enjoy it. We get to steward it. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hand are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Everything belongs to God. The lie is we think it's ours. Now, now, as I said, you know what, I think of we're, we're due a series on money because there's just a lot that the Bible has to say about principles, principles of materialism. Like, What does the Bible have to say to a materialistic society about materialism? Uh, principles about debt. The Bible has a lot to say about debt and what that means. Principles about generosity. I don't have time to get into all the different principles. So I, what I want to do is I want to end by talking about what I think is the foundational principle. When it comes to how we relate to our money, kind of the foundational principle that we get from God's Word is the principle of the tithe. The principle of the tithe. Leviticus 27.30 says, "...a tithe of everything from the land." Whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the, belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. And so we give God the first, right? We give the first. Now, we're not, you know, living in an agrarian society. 
And so we don't give the first of our produce and the first of our, of our land. We, we give the first of our paycheck. And so I get paid every two weeks on a Friday. Uh, the, my, my paycheck hits my bank account. And so the first thing that I do in trying to honor this, the first thing that I do is I pull up my push pay even before I do anything, even before I have a cup of coffee. I pull out push pay and I give God that first 10%. And as I said, you know, well, listen, we're talking about money and maybe this offends you. And maybe you might say, hey, you know, I haven't been to church in like 10 years and I come. And of course, the preacher's talking about money. I get it. I understand. But I'm going to talk about something next, something different next week. So just come back next week and we'll be good. But, but honestly, this is for us. I really do believe that there's, there's something here that's super helpful, that's a foundational principle. Since money is spiritual and money can mess us up in a lot of ways, I think this is a really important thing for us to understand. The book of Malachi was written, as a, the prophet Malachi talked about, was trying to like deal with this question that the Israelites had. And the question that they had, the problem that they had, is they felt like God had abandoned them. They're like, God, we thought we had this contract. We thought you were our God, but it really feels like you've abandoned us. It feels like you've left us. And and so God is speaking through Malachi and saying, what's going on? Like, why has he pulled back a little bit? And so chapter one, he says, your worship. It's like kind of lame. It's really half-hearted. You're just kind of giving me like diseased animals and sick animals, animals that you'd kill anyway. And so like your heart's not really into worship. Then chapter two, he says your relationships are bad. Like husbands, the way you're treating your wives, really, really bad. And so I can't honor that. I can't draw near to that. And then chapter three, he starts dealing with the way that you deal with money and possessions. So verse six says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. So the Israelites say, hey, great, that's that's what we want. Like, it felt like you left us. You're validating that. What do you mean return to me and and I'll return to you? And and, uh, so so, so they say, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? Yet you ask, how are we robbing you? And so he says in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not, not enough room to store it. And so he says, if you, if you trust me in this, I'm going to bless your life. Now listen, this is not necessarily a financial blessing. I'm not talking about a return on investment, like, oh, I'm going to give a dollar and then I'll get $10 back. Sometimes the blessing is financial, but, but oftentimes the blessing comes in other ways. And what I will absolutely testify to you and say, this is what I have found in my life, is that this verse is 100% true. That I can look at the vantage point of where I am in my life and I can say, wow, God has been faithful to me. God has blessed me. Has it always been financial blessing? No. I mean, listen, there's a lot of times where like we run out of money before we run out of months. There are things in our house that need to get fixed that still aren't fixed, but God has been faithful. Now, you know, the reality, I got four kids and, um, 
And so I'm in, I'm in a 10-year run of having kids in college with six of those years being two kids in college at a time. And so Norma and I, like our, you know, we, we're committed to just like taking any, after all the bills are paid, we're going to take all the money, extra money that we have, and, and put it towards our kids' college so that they don't have to, you know, be burdened as much with student loans. And so uh, the twins, they, they have one more year left. One more. We're, we're in the ninth year. After this semester, which is mostly paid for, we got one more year. And I just got to tell you, on that day when Lily and Sophie graduate, Norm and I, we're going to be so proud of them. We're going to say they did such a good job. They worked so hard. But we're going to be like, we did it. <laughs> we're done. No more. No more of that. So listen, that's been a reality. But, but what I can absolutely testify to is the fact that God has been faithful that God has blessed me, that God has blessed my life. It goes on and it says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. All the nations will call, call you blessed. What does that look like for us? All the people on your block, all the people on your cul-de-sac, the people who live in your apartment building. You know, maybe they say, hey, you know, I live in, I live in 9B. And, you know, the couple in 9A, like the walls are thin, like they're fighting all the time and they're just yelling and screaming at each other and it's really distracting. But you, like, you guys, like, you're not fighting. You're like, there's a lot of laughter. It actually, like, what, what's going on? How are you doing that? And you say, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm blessed. I live in a fruitful land. God has been good to me. God has taken care of me. We live in a fruitful land. And so this is the promise that God gives and it's a powerful promise. So let me just real quick, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but real quick, give you, I think, the three main objections that people have to tithing. The first one is this. Isn't it an Old Testament thing? Isn't tithing an Old Testament thing? To which I would say, yes, it was part of the Old Testament law. And, uh, and so you needed to follow the law as part of the covenant with God. Now, we are no longer under law. We're under grace. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So what I would say is that tithing is not something you have to do to get to heaven. Tithing, you know, like you're going to get to heaven based on what Jesus has done for you. Tithing isn't something that you have to do. Tithing is something that you get to do. And Jesus actually, he said we should tithe. It said this in Luke eleven forty two. He was rebuking the Pharisees. He said, woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. So, God, so Jesus says to the Pharisees, hey, you guys got the tithing part really good, but you're kind of jerks in all sorts of other ways. And then he says, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Uh, the Living Bible translates that, yes, you should tithe, but don't leave these other things undone. See, uh, I think that, that it goes back to something that we talk about a lot here, right? We talked about when we started this, when we started the, the new year, we talked about in the beginning God. The first four words in the Bible, in the beginning God. This is an opportunity that we have to say, God, when it comes to something like my money, something that could really, we've got to be careful, we've got to be on guard. I'm going to trust you, God. And so I'm going to acknowledge that everything is yours and that you've blessed me the way that you have. And so I'm going to give you that first 10%. And see, what God does is he said, everything is mine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to give you things. You give me back the, other, you know, the first 10%. 
and then you can manage, you can keep the other 90%. You know, I think that's a really good deal. And it invites God into, like, partnering with Him when it comes to our money. Deuteronomy 14.23 says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first place in your life. And so tithing, I think it's not something, I'm not saying you have to do it. I think it's something that we get to do. And I think it's something that when we do it, there are innumerable blessings that come our way. Second objection that people have. The church doesn't need my money. I'm naming it now. I'm kind of, you know, elephant in the room. And see, here's the reality. Listen, we, we actually, you're right. We, we don't need your money. Like we actually, in our church, you know what? We have some people who faithfully tithe. We have some people who are well off who faithfully tithe. We have people who, you know, who struggle, but they faithfully tithe. And, uh, and so God is, you know what? He's provided for us. We have, you know, we went, th- got through all the struggle that we had with this building. We got through the pandemic. We've kind of moved through. And, and, and so God has been faithful. But you see, the, the reality, though, is we have a lot of vision. And so, yeah, you know what? God has been good and God has kind of like settled us and we're, you know, we're in a good place. But we dream about doing a lot more. Like there's a lot of vision that we have. Like things that we could do if everybody tithed. I mean, you guys saw, you know, let me just keep it real here. Like you guys saw over the last year, like what we did with our food bank. You know, how like rather than just kind of, that's what I love about our church is rather than hunkering down and being afraid, we're like, let's serve the community. Let's serve thousands of people every single week. I got this testimony the other day from our food pantry, uh, from someone who receives food from us. They, they emailed Jessica and said, I just want to thank you uh, and God bless you all. I received food today from the pantry and I was able to have the first real meal I've had in weeks. I have been living on one meal a day of uh, eggs and white bread for weeks because that was all I could afford. Tonight I was able to make myself a meal with chicken and fresh green, fresh green vegetables and a lovely sauce, all because your church and your volunteers are so wonderful along with your donators. Thank you and God bless you. When I get on my feet and I'm able to pay the two months rent I am behind, I intend to come to volunteer. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Now, let me just say one thing here before I make my point. I'm here every Friday, and sometimes I serve. Uh, the volunteers are amazing. It's about 85% women. And just keep it real here. Men in the church, there's a lot of lifting. Women, God bless, like they're strong. They lift boxes, you know. They're like, we got this. But guys, I just want to challenge you. Come out and lift some boxes. Come out and be a part of all this. You know, men's group, Saturday morning, I'm throwing a challenge down to you. We want to see you guys, want to see you guys helping out with our food bank ministry. But see, there's something that, that's going on right now, right? Just talking about the vision that we have. So we are in the process of, of filing for a separate 501c3 for the food bank. It's going to be called Open Door Community Center so that it's just open to everybody. And so we're going to want to see the food bank grow. We're going to want to give food to more people. We're going to want to see a community center really expand. We want to have like, like uh, after-school tutoring for kids. We want to have English as a second language. We want to have things like, for, like free medical clinics that will kind of pop up at certain times. We want to have uh, legal services, especially for people who have immigration issues. There's so much that we want to do. Like we want to kind of get started with this, but there's more that we want to do. And hey, wouldn't it be great? Maybe at some point we'll own the other half of the building. And that's where we'll put our open door community center. So there's a lot of vision. Something else that, that has been kind of stirring up. You know, I talked with you guys about um, 
The fact that the vineyard is undergoing a lot of changes right now. I was just in Maine last week and we picked a new national director, this guy Jay Pathak, great guy, I've known him for years. He's going to lead the, lead the vineyard in some wonderful ways. And there's a lot of new positions that are being created within the vineyard. And so a lot of vineyard pastors are going to leave their churches and, and work full time for the vineyard. And so at this meeting, we had a whiteboard and all the people on the executive team, there are a lot of them will be people who will like take some of these positions and people were kind of writing on the whiteboard what things they were interested in. And I didn't write my name on anything because I said, God has been really clear what my next 15 or 16 years are to be. I'm called to lead this church. And in about 16 years, when I'm 70 years old, we're going to have a retirement party for me out in that nice lobby, or maybe we'll own the whole building and it'll be bigger. But, but something that God has done through this whole process of me really saying, God, should I take one of these positions or what are we doing here? He's really given me a lot of vision for the next 16 years. And so what I would love, imagine, if, if 16 years from now, right, when we're having my retirement party, imagine if not only we have the North Jersey Vineyard here in South Hackensack thriving and doing well, imagine if we have 10 to 15 other connected churches, not just church plants that we said, okay, go off and plant your church and God bless you, but they're connected. Like we're doing ministry together. And so you've got like North Jersey Vineyard Church, South Hackensack, North Jersey Vineyard Church, Sparta, North Jersey Vineyard Church, Hoboken, North Jersey Vineyard Church, Montclair. And then if we get out of North Jersey, we'll have to get a little more creative with the name. But we kind of, you know, North Jersey kind of works for a while. And, and we're running the same playbook. Like we're working together. We meet together. We pray together. We plan things together. And the way that we do church, the way that we do Sunday mornings, the way that we call people to put their faith in Jesus, the way that we lean into the power of the Holy Spirit, the way that we do School of Kingdom ministry, the way that we do 21 days of prayer two times a year, the way that we do growth track, the way that we do life groups, the way that we do serving the community and serve days and cultural celebration dinners, all the things that we do, which is kind of now a pretty well-formed playbook that we have that works really well. What if we have you know, not only the North Jersey Vineyard in South Hackensack, but 10 to 15 other churches that are, that are thriving and reaching other parts of North Jersey with the playbook, the things that God has called us to be. You know, that's something that I'm getting increasingly excited about. And I don't, I don't think this is just kind of vision that I came up with. I think this is an assignment. I think this is something God has called me and called us to for the next 16 years. This is why God said that my storehouse would be full that my storehouse would be full. Tithing enables the church to do the work of the Lord. And the last point is this. I'll end with this. Reason people don't tithe, objections that people have, I can't afford it. I can't afford to tithe. Of course you can't afford to tithe. Nobody can afford to tithe. You can't afford to tithe until you tithe. You know, because the reality is, is that everybody lives beyond their means. And so it doesn't matter how much money you have, it's going to be a challenge for you. That's why God said, test me in this. He said, listen, I know this is going to be hard, right? It talks about first fruits. First fruits when in an agrarian society was that when, you know, it took months for the crop to come in. And if the crop didn't come in, you were going to starve and you were going to die. And God said, listen, I want you to give me your first fruits. Because it was like a three-month process to bring in the crop. When, give me the first part of it. Don't like hoard it. I want you to give it to me and trust me that I'm going to bring in the rest of the crop. So it is a test of faith. There's no question. We need to trust God. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul wrote, But remember this, if you give little, you will get little. A farmer who plants just a few seeds will get only a small crop, but if he plants much, he will reap much. 
And this actually, this makes sense, right? Because God wants to cover the world with the gospel. He wants through his church. He wants, you know, people to be feeding the poor and read, preaching the gospel and praying for the sick and doing all the things that we're called to do. And so if you have someone who's got their seed and they're just kind of walking around, like, this is my seed, I got my seed. And they just kind of take one little seed and they're like, okay, I'll drop it over here. And they're like, all right, I still got my seed and I'm gonna go over here and I'll drop maybe one more little seed over here. This is my seed. I got the seed. Maybe I'm okay. I'm feeling really generous. One more little seed over here. And then you got someone who's got their seed and they're just like sowing it. They're just like, I'm trusting God and I'm sowing it and a little bit over here and a little bit over there and I'm going to trust God. And so if God's goal is to cover the world with the gospel and the ministry of, of his church, who's he going to give more to? Right? He's going to bless the person who's kind of saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to trust God. That's why what Paul says in the very next verse is he says, seed for the sower. Seed for the sower. See, God doesn't just want to give to you. He wants to give through you. And so, so as we talk about, as we talk about our relationship with money, and we try to, you know, I hope that you've just heard a couple of things here. One is, you know what? That, that it is spiritual. That it is the way that you deal with money has so much to do with not only your relationship with others, but your relationship with God. And it really is a way for us to show that we trust God. And I just, you know, in all my years of being a pastor, in all my years of not just being a pastor, but living on the earth, I have seen, I don't know if there's anything that causes more stress, more frustration, more sleepless nights, more arguments, more fear, than our relationship with money. So what I want to say to you, all of you, is that God can set you free from that. God wants to set you free wherever it is in your life right now that you are experiencing the pain and the confusion that mammon brings. I want to pray that you would be set free. That where you have been stressed because you've had this imaginary wall to keep you safe and maybe you haven't realized as much the real wall that you have, the wall that comes through your relationship with Jesus. I just believe that God wants to speak to our hearts right now and he wants to remind us that we are safe and secure in his kingdom because of the relationship that we have with him regardless of how much money is in your bank account. All right, so let's all stand and I just want to pray over you. Lord, I thank you for everyone here. I thank you, God, that you provide for us. I thank you, God, that you care for us. I thank you, God, that you are a wall, Lord, not an imaginary wall of protection, but a real wall of protection. And so, God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that everyone would feel the security that only comes from you. Lord, you are our security and you are our identity. And so, Lord, we just say that we will no longer look to money for our security. We will no longer look to riches for our identity. We look to you. And so in the name of Jesus, I just break off the power of mammon. I break off the fear, that, that anxiety that mammon seeks to create, that mammon seeks to stir up in our lives. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us perfect peace as we fix our eyes on you, knowing that, Lord, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And listen, if you're hearing this right now and you don't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus, let me just tell you, God loves you. 
God wants to be your source. God wants to be your wall. He wants to be your protection. He wants to be your identity. He wants to deliver you from your sins. He wants to deliver you from your fears. He wants to be with you through all the insecurities of this world. The way that we begin a relationship like that with God, right? We're not born into it. We don't inherit it. We invite Jesus in. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'm going to come in. And maybe some of you right now, you can kind of feel God knocking at the door of your heart. God is saying, I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. Let me in. I'm going to forgive your sins. And you're going to find that I am your strength. I am your grace. I am your shepherd like you've never had before. If you're ready to do that, I want you to pray this prayer. Just close your eyes. And just repeat after me. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just say it in your heart to God. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe that you died on the cross in my place. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you're present. You're here right now. I ask you to forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. Please come and live inside of me and teach me how to follow you. Because from here on out, you're my Lord and I'm going to follow you. Just keep your eyes closed, but do me a favor. If you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer to invite Jesus in. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Now, for those of you in the room, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. You can take out your phone or you can use your camera and you can use the QR code on the back of your chair. Or those of you who are out in uh, live stream or, or, you know, even here, text follow to 201-584-7188. If you do that, I'm going to reach out to you this week. I'll just send you an email and just say, hey, how can I pray for you? Do you want to talk? You know, what can, what can we do to, to, to help you kind of on this journey, these steps that you're taking? All right, we're going we're gonna to go to a time of ministry. We have people from the prayer ministry team who are going to be over here. Uh, keep your masks on, but we'd love to pray for you. Uh, if you, especially if you're dealing with stress about money. I, you know, I really felt that there were some people that I was preaching to about specifically about your true source of security, that you came here feeling really just kind of exposed and afraid. God wants to minister to you, wants you to know the, the real wall that you have. Whatever your needs are here this morning, God wants to meet your needs. And, uh, and, and prayer is kind of a powerful way that we can hear from God and receive what he has for us. So just get some prayer. Come right over here. There'll be people from the prayer team. They'd love to pray for you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week, and uh, I'll see you soon.